Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. 2023 saw the Sunbelt Conference rise to heights it had never seen with 12 teams represented in bowl season. Louisiana made a bowl game for the sixth consecutive season while ULM finished a disappointing 2-10 and in what proved to be the final year of the Terry Bowden era. Today, we're putting their 2023 seasons in review as we wrap up our annual in-review series. But before we do, we wanted to tell you about Monday's show. Caden and I were joined by the voices of the Golden Eagles, John Cox, and voice of the Panthers, Dave Cohen, to review the 2023 seasons for Southern Miss and Georgia State. If you missed it, go back, give it a listen. Today, it's episode 177 of the show, and it's time to put the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns and ULM Warhawks in review. Voice of the Ragin' Cajuns, Jay Walker, will join us first, followed by a conversation with Voice of the Warhawks, Mike Hammett, later on in this episode. Caden, let's talk Louisiana. Their season largely felt like a repeat of 2022. They've been to a bowl game now in six consecutive seasons, but they've ended the last two years with a loss now. This team has struggled to win tight games despite plans of the season. What are you going to remember about the 2023 season for the Ragin' Cajuns? Yeah, no, I'll kind of remember just the rise and the fall of this team, kind of kind of reliant on Zion Chris. He really brought this team up to some prominence with his amazing play that I know we were talking about on a weekly basis, what he was able to do with his arms and his legs. And then once he went through that gruesome injury, you see this team kind of struggle and the regular season one and four and cap off their season with a bowl game that was a little bit predicated on them not being able to generate any offense and them taking a loss to Jacksonville State. So I think the consistency of this team week in and week out is still there, though. That championship culture, you know a Louisiana team on a weekly basis is going to give you your best shot. And that's what you saw with a lot of their close wins and their close losses. They were still able to run the ball and do a lot of the foundational things we saw them do. But ultimately, just injuries at the quarterback position, I think, and some youth from time to time just got the best of this team yet again for kind of two straight years with Coach Dez. Yeah, Kane, I think those are some great points. Injuries and close games. Jay Walker is here. He's going to talk about those two things in this interview. It's time to review the Raging Cajuns 2023 season. Well, we are excited to be joined by the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker, here on the Ferry and Smith podcast. Jay, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to join us. I, I appreciate you having me on. And, and, you know, all of that longtime voice stuff, That what that means is I'm really old. And, and and that's okay. I'm good with it. Well, that's what I was trying to say, but say it in a nice way. So I'm glad that you said it and not me. But Jay, this Louisiana team had quite the year. It was highlighted by some impressive wins. We saw some close losses and all while having three different starting quarterbacks throughout the year. They end with a six and six record after yet another close loss to Jacksonville State in that bowl game. What were your biggest takeaways from this 2023 version of the Raging Cajuns? Well, you know, as a long time uh, song said, which means it's old, second verse, same as the first, okay? I, I think this past year was very similar uh, to Mike's first year as head coach. You had, uh, you had a lot of um, close games. You had uh, some close wins. You had some close losses. And for the second year in a row, you had to play three quarterbacks because, you, uh, because your guys got hurt. Um, so I, I think it was like a little bit more of the same. Um, I think the, the thing that was disappointing is, um, you know, the Cajuns now have played 11 one score games under Mike Desermo, but they've won only two. 
Uh, and it's been a different thing each time, right? You know, sometimes you you throw a pick in the end zone with 30 seconds left because your guy didn't put enough air under it. You fumble inside the 10 yard line when you're getting ready to tie a game. You get it. It has been um, it's been quite a road, and and it's been very frustrating sometimes. I think it's frustrating to Mike. I think it's frustrating to the fan base. Uh, but they have to find a way to start winning those one-score games. That That's the hump they need to get over right now because they're playing everybody close. Yeah, there's no question, Jay. It was, it was a tough year for them. A lot of close wins, a lot of close losses, as, as Noah mentioned. But Zion Chris took over the reins of this offense in week three and immediately made a strong impact. He drew comparisons to a guy I played against and hated play against, playing against, quite frankly, and Levi Lewis from Coach Desermo. And he definitely lived up to that hype and led on led Louisiana on an impressive run this year. He ended his season, unfortunately, with a gruesome injury, and he ends his Cajuns career now going into the transfer portal and committing to Houston. What will you remember most about the Zeon Chris experience in Louisiana? You know, I think I think Zeon, first of all, is a fine young man. Okay. You never see him put anything on social media that's not a Bible verse. He's a he is a very um, very grounded a uh, young Christian man. I think he's a great kid. Um, obviously, we're disappointed uh, that he's he's chosen to go somewhere else. But but what he did was he brought a lot of excitement. I think you know just as just as Levi did when he was the quarterback. You know, Zion could make things happen with his arm or with his legs. Thought he had good leadership skills. You know, we'll miss him, and at the same time, we are going to return two guys who have played a lot of football. Uh, for the Cajuns. And so, you know, those guys move on, you replace them and, and you try to get better. That's all you can do. Yeah, Jay, I think those are some interesting points. Caden has told me a lot about his playing days and having to go up against Levi Lewis and just that dual threat nature. I know he hated, uh, you know, playing against uh, Levi. And certainly we saw shades of that uh, with Zeon this year. And you mentioned his effectiveness with his legs, but this Louisiana backfield was excellent and was really the driving force behind this offense. This Ragin' Cajun's team led the Sun Belt for most of the year in rushing yards per game. But talk about what made that rushing attack as effective as it was and really the seminal part in Louisiana's success this year. Well, you know, it's it's what the Cajuns do, okay? I think the Cajun offense, regardless of who the quarterback has been, uh, regardless of who the head coach has been, uh, the Cajuns offense has been predicated on their ability to run the football. Um and last year was was no exception. And, you know, when you look, the Cajuns, without the portal, the Cajuns would have had running backs this year, Montrell Johnson and uh, Imani Bailey. Okay, Bailey led TCU in rushing, and, and Montrell Johnson did a nice job for Billy Napier over at Florida. Without the portal, that's our running back uh, class this year. But, again, the portal's part of the game now. But no, running the football is what the Cajuns want to do. It's what they've been wanting to do since about 2005. Um, excited over the fact that you had a Cajun get into the end zone yesterday. Um, Elijah Mitchell scored what proved to be the winning touchdown for the 49ers. And, uh, but that's, uh, you know, the Cajuns have had good running backs and they're going to continue to have good running backs. There's no question y'all are slowly but surely turning yourselves into running back university with just the amount of talent that y'all keep putting out year in and year out. But getting back to the quarterback position, Chandler Fields is returning for what seems like a, a 10th season at Louisiana. And there's a lot of other younger quarterbacks in that room as well. Chandler's appeared in 28 games in his UL career. And this team has kind of had a mixed bag of results with him 
under center. Do you forecast any kind of competition this offseason? And if not, maybe what's the confidence looking like in fields being under center all season long or 2024 potentially? Well, there's going to be competition because Ben Woldridge has decided to return for what I think really is his 10th season. <laughs> you know, Ben, um, Ben and Chandler are very similar, not necessarily physically because Ben's bigger. Both can make things happen with their legs. Uh, both guys have got the ability to hair the football out. Chandler's arms probably a little bit stronger, but they, um, but they're both tremendous leaders. And if you um, and and I got a chance to sit in once or twice with, you know, during the summer they split the team up and you know they're going to have a competition and you get points for showing up for breakfast on time and you get demerits for not for being late and the first two guys that were selected every year that I've done this has been Ben Woldridge and Chandler Fields, not necessarily in that order they flip flop they've got a tremendous amount of respect in the locker room. And whichever one winds up being the quarterback, uh, that team will rally around him because they they respect him. Well, Jay, I think uh, the biggest thing is we've got to find out who has this voodoo doll around Cajun quarterbacks and, and try to stay away from uh, some injuries as we head into 2024. But, you know, another big aspect of this team was its defense. And, you know, it had its fair share of impressive performances this year. They were great at stopping the run and getting to the quarterback for huge swaths of this season. What were your favorite elements of this Ragin' Cajun defense, and, and what are your expectations for that unit looking ahead to 24 as they bring back several key pieces? Well, you know, I think, first of all, they got kind of caught behind the eight ball because you had two guys last year that after graduation and during the summer decided to portal out. Uh, Trey Amos wound up being the nickelback for Alabama. He's back in the portal. And, um, and Cam Pedesclo was an all-conference guy at Tulane. And you didn't have time to replace those guys. And so the secondary was really young, uh, and they got, they got bitten uh, a few times. But we knew that the strength of that team was going to be up front. Uh, we knew that going in. And they, I thought the, the, the the front guys did a, a terrific job, the outside linebackers and the, and the three down linemen. Now, they're going to they're gonna have to do a little work there. They've got a couple of guys that are portaling in on the defensive line that are going to help them. Um, but the, I guess the good news was they played so many young guys on defense last year that, you know, it, they're going to be a more experienced group coming in than they were in, in 2023. No, they're definitely a unit me and Noah have our eye on as a, as a group that can definitely take a next jump and a next step next year, just given how many young players had to play last year and really rose to the occasion, especially towards the end of the year. Coach Desermo Jay is now entering his third season at the helm. He's coming off of two straight six and seven years. And you mentioned his first and second years have kind of looked a little bit the same between some roster turnover, some quarterback injuries. It's no question that it's been challenging for him, but this fan base does also expect championships. What would you say is the perception on Coach Des and the job he's done the last two seasons as the head coach of this program, you know I, I think it's I, I think it's been good and bad. Uh, you know, first of all, let me say this: if you think you had an issue with Levi Lewis, you should have seen this cat play quarterback. Okay, <laughs> uh, he he um, he was the outstanding offensive player in the Sun Belt his senior year in two thousand eight. Um, and from the quarterback position, he rushed for over a thousand yards two years in a row. 
pound for pound might be the toughest dude I have ever covered. Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect and affection when you get right down to it for Mike. Having said all of that, okay, he inherited a team that had won 23 games in two seasons. And so I think, look, when when Billy Napier left, I think that there were a lot of fans that said, oh, we're going to go get this guy or this guy. Not understanding is when you have success, the first place you look is on your own staff. And Brian Maggard decided that Mike Desermo was the, the guy to lead this team. I I supported the hire. I support Mike. I think that they're very, very close. But at the same time, your fan base, and I don't care what fan base you're talking about, okay, but your fan base is results-oriented. At the end of the day, they don't want to hear about how many quarterbacks got hurt. They don't want to hear about who portaled out. They don't want to hear about any of that stuff. They want to know, did you win? And I made the comment before the bowl game that the biggest disparity in perception is six and six going into a bowl game. Because if you win your bowl game, you're seven and six, everybody feels good. If you lose, you had a losing season. That's the way fans respond. So the Cajuns have had two losing seasons, according to some of the people in the fan base. So therefore, I think this is an important year uh, for Mike and his staff. Um, The schedule is much tougher coming up. Because in non-conference, you go to Wake Forest, you have Tulane coming to Cajun Field, and then you're swapping out Georgia State and Old Dominion for App State and Coastal Carolina. So it's um, the schedule is going to be the biggest challenge that Mike has had as far as scheduling is concerned. And, uh, and at the end of the day, nobody's going to want to hear about it if you don't win. So, you know, you got to go play. Michael have them ready to play, and hopefully they'll play well. Jay, I think everything you said is so important. I know with Caden being on this podcast, we talk a lot of App State football at times, and you know Sean Clark, I think there's an interesting similarity, a tie there, two guys who were successful in that program as players now taking over those programs. And I think that's important in this new age of college football and even in a Sun Belt that we've seen a lot of transition from head coaches uh, in recent years. But Let's talk about something that I know has you and a lot of Cajun fans really excited, and that's the renovations to the current Cajun field, which in the future is going to be named Our Lady of the Lord Stadium. It's a transformative $65 million project. What effects is that going to have on this program, the school, the players, and ultimately this fan base as well? I think what you've had with Cajun field is is a stadium that was built and built well as far as the structure is concerned. It opened in 1971, and with exception of bowling in the south end zone and putting new restrooms and concessions there about a decade ago, it's a, it's a stadium that's had no upgrades in 50-something years. And uh, so you had no amenities in that stadium. You can't... Um, you have to bring in your, your, your food because you can't, you can't cook in that stadium. It's so old. So um, I, I think it, the fan experience is really going to be magnified once this thing is done. Now, you better be patient because it's going to take a while. 
all right? 2024 will be a displaced year for our fans. Seating will be in the south end zone, on the hill in the north end zone, and on the east side. Maximum capacity is probably going to be about 14,000. And it's going to be that way for 2024. 2025, the west side uh, will open, and it's going to have plenty of amenities for the fans. And then something a lot of folks don't realize, when that happens, then you start construction on the east side because they got some state money, another $20 million or so. So they're going to build the press box and the, the broadcast booths and the coaches booths. Uh, that's all going to be on the east side. And in that tower, all the administrative offices will move in there. So it, it's really quite an undertaking, but it's going to be done in two phases. And, um, you know, so when, when, when my buddy um, Adam Winton comes in for football, uh, next season, I'll say this, we're going to be in a temporary makeshift press box, but it's actually going to be better than what he had before. That's how, that's how bad it was. Well, there's no question that construction in college athletics always comes with excitement in the future. And I know Cajun Field's always a great place to play, especially when that team's good. So hopefully it all works out. Last thing with you, Jay, we'll end with this. We talked about this team having back-to-back six and seven seasons. They're bringing back a number of key pieces. And the west side of this conference really feels wide open. What needs to happen for Louisiana in order for them to take the next step in 2024 and find themselves back in that championship conversation? Make a play at the end of the game. You know, I mean... I told you the Cajuns are two and nine in one score games. And I want to say five or six of those nine losses has happened in the last 30 seconds of a game. You know, somebody getting a field goal, somebody uh, breaking free and scoring a late touchdown, you know, throwing a pick uh, in the, in the end zone, fumbling the football inside the 10 yard line. All of that stuff's coming at the end of the game. So you've got to find a way to make more plays at the end of the game. Because if you have a half a dozen one-score games next year, but you win four of them, well, you know, now now you're looking at, a, at an okay year. But right now they're two and nine over the last two seasons. That's the thing that has to change more than anything else. I think the personnel is going to be good enough uh, to compete. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have the best personnel. But, but the Cajuns always have great chemistry. They always play really hard, and they always believe they're going to win the football game. So that's a good start, uh, but you've got you've to find a way to win those games at the end of the game. Uh, that's been the frustrating thing, I think, uh, for, for Mike and his staff, for the fans, and maybe the broadcaster, too. I don't know. <laughs> well, Jay, we really appreciate just the candidness today and the insight into this Raging Cajuns program. I know it's a program that Kate and I are high on as we look ahead to 2024. So certainly appreciate your time and uh, look forward to uh, staying in touch throughout the remainder of the offseason. You guys do a terrific job with this podcast. I appreciate you having me on. I, I hope you'll have me on again. And uh, okay, Cajuns. Caden, that was a great conversation with a guy who has, has been around this Louisiana program as long as anyone. And The biggest thing that I took from that interview was the parallels between the 2022 season, the 2023 season. Obviously, you can look at the end records, both six and seven, both ending in bowl losses. But when you dig deeper, you look at quarterback injuries and just some losses in close games. These last two seasons under Coach Desimo have been eerily similar. 
Yeah, it's funny because when you look at his first season at the helm, you kind of give coaches the benefit of the doubt in their first year when certain things don't go their way. And we've talked in this series at length about how every coach has kind of been held, dealt different hands, just depending on their personnel, their schedule, just different situations throughout the season. And unfortunately for Louisiana, it just seems like they were dealt yet again, just another bad hand with some of their luck and misfortune both on and off the field. And I think when you look at them now next season, it's really going to be the kind of feeling like his second year, feeling like year two under Coach Des, and you can kind of call year one, year zero, as Butch Jones told us for Arkansas State in his first season at the helm there, just because of what he was giving and what he was able to do and what his resources were for last year's team. So I think talking about all these teams and looking forward to the future with other Sunbelt teams, it's going to be interesting to see both what we know about these teams on paper and also what's not going to be controllable and those uncontrollable things and which teams are going to be able to combat that the best. And I mentioned it before. I think this is still a Louisiana team that still has that strong football culture. I think they're a player-led team week in and week out that's going to be able to run the ball and play strong defense. And we talked about a lot of young players now being more experienced heading into next season. So you'd have to imagine that if this team has some better injury luck next season, has a little bit more of that foundation heading into year three under Coach Des, we could see a different record and a better record other than the six and seven we saw the past two seasons well and Caden, to your point fans care about wins and losses but when you actually look at what coach desermo has had to work with this louisiana team has been affected by the transfer portal perhaps more than any other team in this conference multiple all-conference guys particularly on the defense last year two years ago in the running back position so They've definitely been hurt by that. I think Coach Desermo is still trying to rebuild this program after the the cupboard was quite literally stripped bare when Billy Napier left. But let's turn our attention now to another team in the state of Louisiana. That's the ULM Warhawks. And Gaten, ULM has consistently finished at or near the bottom of the Sunbelt West Division. They go 10-26 and 26 in three seasons under Terry Bowden. And they went just 2-10 and 10 this year. But Gaten, the one thing, and Mike's going to get into it in this interview in a moment, is They've been a lot more competitive this year. They they took several Sunbelt powers, including your boys from Boone, down to the wire this year. What are you going to remember about ULM's 2023 season? It's going to be a lot of those what-ifs and what could have been, though. I mean, this is a team that rattled off three conference wins last year. It was pretty optimistic in that department. And looking at this year, they could have very well got three wins on just separate occasions if you look at the their schedule and how close they were to pulling off some wins. I think when you look at their season in 10 straight losses, that's obviously going to stand out and jump off the page as an extreme failure. But when you really dig in and watch what this team was able to do and look at the numbers, they were competitive week in and week out. And I know that they also had some misfortune. They had some different quarterbacks having to play throughout the season. They kind of had a lot of self-inflicted wounds is one of the biggest things I noticed this year. They really hurt themselves at time with just some discipline and some penalties and some, some situational stuff at the end of the game. But the good news is I think a lot of that stuff is very fixable and hopefully next season under a different staff, you can see some of those close losses turn to wins and give this team some more hope that just wasn't there last year when you saw them get into that consistent rut of just losing week after week after week. Yeah, I think those are great points. Now they've proven they can be competitive. Can they take that next step? And Caden, we have talked at nauseum on this podcast about the West being open. Is there a chance for them to maybe pick up four or five wins in Sunbelt Conference play, perhaps get to a bowl game? We will see. Well, the voice of ULM, Mike Hammett, is here. Let's review the Warhawks 2023 season. Well, we have officially saved the best for last. Mike Hammett, the radio voice of the ULM Warhawks, set to join us here on the Frarian Smith Podcast. Mike, thanks for taking some time out of your very busy schedule to join us. Hey, glad to do it. Glad to be here. 
Well, let's jump right in, Mike. Uh, obviously, this was a tough season for ULM. You pick up the two quick non-conference wins, and then the year ends with a disappointing 10 straight losses. It's obviously not the kind of year that this team wanted, that these fans you know, wanted. They're likely going to try to forget about it. But for you, what are you going to remember about this 2023 season? You know, it it is the disappointment because the way the thing started, you know, it was year three under Terry Bowden. You felt like if this team was going to get to a bowl game, this was maybe the group to do it. You liked the additions they had made, uh, some of the guys they had coming back. More importantly, the coordinators back for a second year after Coach Bowden lost uh, both Rich Rodriguez and Zach Alley after year one in 2021. You kind of had to reset in 2022. But to have Matt Kubik back as your offensive coordinator, Vic Koning back as the defensive coordinator, felt like there was going to be some consistency there. And so coming into the year, you know, it felt like the Army game was really big to open it up because with how good the Sun Belt is, you felt like you needed to at least go 500 in those non-conference games, win that group of five game that you have at home against Army, and win your FCS game, of course, the next week against Lamar. And you felt like from there, it's like, okay, we only have to go four and four in conference play. You get six wins, and hopefully you get an invite to a bowl game, which ULM's had six wins before and not received that invite. So uh, you were hopeful that was what was going to happen. The dramatics of the Army game uh, to have uh, really where Hunter Herring came in in the fourth quarter after Jaya Wright was ineffective the first three quarters. You knew there was going to be a short leash on Jaya on the season just because this staff, I think, knew the pressure coming in. They needed to compete. They needed to win. I didn't realize it was going to be three quarters of a game short for Jaya, but you know Hunter Herring comes in in the fourth quarter. The transfer from Lafayette comes in and just leads him right down the field and, and scores two touchdowns, including the, the dramatic, the highlight reel catch by Tyrone Howell, the one-handed catch in the back corner of the end zone to give them the lead and then hold on and, and beat a, a, what turned out to be a pretty decent Army team. That loss to ULM cost them a bowl game this year. So uh, a big, big win to open the season. You kind of grinded through the Lamar game, and I felt like that was one where ULM really just needed to to find a way to get a win. You were coming off of – you're putting so much into that Army game, it's hard to bounce back the next week, and Lamar ended up having a, a decent season for themselves as well in the Southland. and. ULM found a way to win. It got a little rocky late in the game, but you found a way to win. So you had your mission accomplished. You wanted to win two non-conference games at a minimum. You knew the other two would be tough going to Texas A&M and Ole Miss, but you got your two. And just didn't have things break your way in conference play. I think that's the thing I remember is you go to that App State game to close the month of September uh, to have a lead late, to lead most of that fourth quarter. It's kind of a back-and-forth game. But the 53-yard walk-off field goal, uh, you know, I go back to that and just think that's two seasons that went two very different directions from right there because App was searching a little bit coming into that game because they had lost a couple of close games early. And I go back and I think, man, if he misses that field goal or ULM defends differently and they don't get in field goal range and they can't try it, then, you know, ULM wins that game. Then does that translate into a win against Texas State a couple weeks later? Does it translate into a win against Georgia Southern, another game where they were right there and some mistakes cost them. And you just felt like they never got that win to fully get the confidence and get the juice flowing. And so, uh, and App State took that and went on to play in the Sun Belt Championship game. That turned their season in the right direction for sure. So uh, that was kind of the diverging point. And, uh, you know, unfortunately had a collapse against Texas State a couple weeks later, up two scores with 
about eight minutes left in that game and fall in San Marcos. Uh, four turnovers in about five minutes of game time at Georgia Southern in the second quarter. You rallied back, had an opportunity, couldn't finish the rally. So, you know, uh, there were chances, there were opportunities. And then once you hit the final month of the season, it, it just felt like uh, the final blow was was to go to Southern Miss, the only other team in the Sun Belt to miss a bowl game and and get blown out by them in Hattiesburg and just not really be in that game. Uh, you felt like you needed that one just to kind of validate what the staff was doing, to validate that you were that close to getting it going. And you just couldn't find a way there. You couldn't find a way in Lafayette to end the year. And uh, that was that. And and to lose 10 straight, you know, I felt like this staff was going to get another year the way it was going midseason, to have the close losses and all that. But when you lose 10 straight, it, it's hard to bring them back. And, you know, I hate that. There's a lot of good guys on that staff, a, a good group of men. But I understand the position that uh, AD John Hartwell was put in. When you lose 10 in a row, it makes it awfully tough to to retain that group. And so now it's a, a new beginning for ULM moving forward. But uh, just uh, kind of, I think it's going to remember it for the, the what ifs. You know, what if you beat App State? What's that turn into at Texas State? And so on. No, definitely a season of what ifs for this team. And me and Noah watch a lot of Sunbelt football. And there's not many times we watch this ULM team play where we question their effort at all. We enjoyed watching them whenever we could. They fought hard in a lot of games. Like you mentioned, the App State game, the Texas State game, the Georgia Southern game. They just had some self-inflected mistakes. They balled and bounced their way a couple of times. But they played very hard week in and week out. There's no question about that. What were some of your biggest positive takeaways that you saw from this team, like their effort and some of the other things maybe? Yeah, I thought that was the biggest, you know, the the way they, the effort they put in, I, I never questioned that at all throughout the season. You never questioned, you know, some of the uh, the calls and things like that, just because you knew the the MO of the team and, and how they were going. I felt like, you know, they the coaches put them in a position to win. It just was a matter of, you know, maybe you don't execute something here or there. And so um, I think that's the biggest positives I take away, though, is, you know, how the defense played at times. They were lights out. You had guys like Aiden Huntington getting in there and making plays, and Kennard Snyder put together a heck of a season. Uh, you know, it, it, I think that was the biggest leap forward as ULM has struggled so bad defensively. You go back, you know, five years when Caleb Evans was playing here and setting all sorts of offensive records and lighting things up, and ULM just couldn't stop anybody back then. The Warhawks would lost a game to Arkansas State, I think 65 to 51 during the Caleb Evans era, just because you couldn't stop anyone. So uh, it was a little different to have a good defense. And then it was just, it couldn't quite get the offense to answer at times. And then there were times the offense was rolling and that's when the defense would have their letdown. So, uh, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. It's been a while since we've seen a good defense on the Bayou. Vic Koning's been retained on the new staff moving forward. It's a lesser role. He's he's an inside linebackers coach, I believe. And so uh, you have some continuity with him coming back, at least sticking around. So hopefully that's a building block for Bryant Vincent and his staff moving forward. Mike, you know, another big bright spot, and you mentioned it briefly, but Aiden Huntington, you know, he, he comes in, has a huge year after transferring in from, from Kent State. I know that he very much impressed Caden and I at Sunbelt Media Days, you know, off the field. And then on the field, he becomes this team's only all-conference selection uh, this year. Whether it's on the field or off the field, speak to the impact that that Aiden Huntington had on this year's football team. He came in and he grabbed a leadership position immediately. Uh, that was the biggest thing I saw from him. Like you mentioned at Media Day, that was my first real interaction with Aiden. I had seen him around the building. He was always good about coming into offices and and saying hi and kind of chatting a little bit on his way to workouts and all that. But 
I really got to know him in New Orleans and for him to pull out that notebook of his that he had. And I'm sure you guys saw it too, that he had notes on every single player on that depth chart on the defense that he was talking all about his teammates and giving credit to those guys and hyping them up for what was to come in the season. And I've kind of stored that in the back of my mind because Aiden does have another year. He's still around here at ULM and coming back, and I'm excited for that. But I go beyond that. If Aiden sticks around in Monroe past this season, uh, I might need to find a spot on the radio crew for him because his prep work was incredible. So uh, if he's got a future in broadcasting, I'd love to have him on my team moving forward for sure. So, uh, But he just brings that infectious energy. He's always positive, and I think that's a hard thing. Sometimes at a program like this where it's been down for so long and it's been so hard to win, you've got to have somebody who's always upbeat and looking at that bright side of things and always on that drive, his, uh, you know, his always starving mantra. You know, I, I love that about him, and he's just got that motor, and I'm hoping that you know, he comes into this new group of players. He's going to have a lot of newcomers around him on this defense coming up in 2024, that that rubs off on them, and he is seen as a valuable asset moving forward. I think Bryant Vincent and his staff have identified that in him already. So uh, I'm excited to see what comes here for Aiden. Uh, A great addition, great pickup in the portal last year, and uh, hopefully uh, big things to come for him with one more season here in in Monroe. Yeah, there's no question that the Aiden Huntington pulling out the notebook at Media Days was one of the most memorable interviews we've had on the podcast. I mean, this kid's breaking down the stats from last year where he wants to improve. It was some real impressive stuff, and he had an impressive season, of course. So after this year, the program parts ways with Terry Bowden. After three seasons, he goes 10-26 and during his tenure in Monroe. He wasn't able to take this program to new heights necessarily, but he's still one of the most respected coaches across college football. How do you think his stint in Monroe will be remembered and kind of his legacy? You do have to remember where he took over this program coming off the 2020 season, uh, Matt Viator's final year. It was the COVID year. I mean, I know things were tough for everyone, but that year, ULM not only went 0-10, they never led in a game. I mean, it was so down that year to not ever see the lead, ever see the right side of the scoreboard. And Coach Bowden comes in here in the first game, uh, we go to Kentucky, and ULM gets a field goal on the opening drive to lead right away in, in 2021. And so, uh, you know, Rich Rodriguez was on staff at that time as the offensive coordinator, and he joked that they almost stopped, you know, wanted to take a timeout and stop and take a picture of the scoreboard that they're in front and just instill that belief in the guys that, hey, we can do this. It's just a, a matter of taking that step forward. And so we saw moments where they pulled off big-time upsets uh, here in Monroe. You know, Liberty, that very first season, comes in here. Malik Willis uh, coming into that week was uh, already, you know, everybody's talking about him as a possible number one pick in the NFL draft. And then the what ULM was able to do to him defensively and slow him down, he ends up going from the number one pick to a third-round pick with the Titans. And a lot of the film you kept seeing leading up to the draft on, on TV when they were talking about him was the ULM game where he was challenged so much in that ball game. So, uh, you know, they pulled off massive upsets at times, you know, beat the Cajuns uh, in year two. Uh, you know, didn't really have that in year three, except for the Army game at the beginning of the year. But they were so competitive, especially at home. And I think that's the big thing is he, you know, while it didn't result in wins and losses the way he would like to, he restored the competitive nature to this program. They were not competitive in a lot of those games in 2020. And so he's got this program in a much better spot for Bryant Vincent and his staff to come in and move it forward. 
Uh, from what I've heard, Coach Bowden's still around here in Monroe. He's still invested in this program, still invested in the ULM athletic department, the Monroe community. Uh, you know, he's always said that ULM is his last job. I don't think he's got any ambitions to go get back in somewhere else. And so he he wants this place to win still, even though it didn't end the right way for him. And I, I love that about him. He was a great guy to work with. I'm going to miss him this next season. But uh, hopefully ULM and, and Coach Vincent and everybody can continue to build off of that competitive nature that him and his staff instilled in this program. Mike, I think that's some some great perspective, and I know Caden and I have enjoyed our interactions uh, with Coach Bowden during his time as the head coach, and it also is just a great segue to Brian Vincent, who was hired a few weeks later to lead this Warhawks team. It's going to be his first collegiate head coaching job of his career after numerous stops at the high school and college. There was the interim uh, head coaching job at UAB, but what were your first impressions of him, and what does he bring to the table for this ULM squad? I think the first thing that leaped out, you know, about Bryant Vincent is like you said, it's his first full-time head coaching job. He had that year at UAB, but ULM has always gone with somebody who has had prior experience as a head coach. And I mean, let's be honest, you look back 30 years in FBS, you've gone to one bowl game. It hasn't worked and it's time to try something different. And I like that about Bryant Vincent. You're getting a guy who has been around some very successful programs. He was there at South Alabama at the dawn of that program as they laid the foundation and made a couple bowl games, and he knows what it's like to build a program from the ground up. Back at UAB, again, after coming off where they shut the program down for a couple of years, then he comes in and helps build that thing back up. And not that ULM is building from scratch necessarily, but he has that history of being around programs where they are building and trying to get to the next level, and he's been a very successful part of that with everything they did at UAB under coach Clark uh you know and and then going to New Mexico this past season as an offensive coordinator the offense wasn't what was wrong with New Mexico this past season I mean they they moved the ball they scored some points so uh that's exciting there's been some guys from New Mexico that have followed him here to ULM uh to be a part of that offense again this year so that's going to be fun to watch but uh I'm just excited to see him in a leadership role to be the head guy of a program. He's brought in a lot of guys with ties to South Alabama or UAB, guys that he's been around before, and so they're getting their opportunities to prove themselves. And if we're being honest, that's what ULM needs to be as a program, is it needs to be an opportunity for guys to come in and, you know, there's probably going to be a coaching change in three or four years, but you want that coaching change to be a positive. You want it to be Coach Vincent did such a great job here that he got another job somewhere else. That's what this, uh, you hate to be a stepping stone program, but there are so many programs in college football, college basketball, whatever, that started out as stepping stone programs. And one guy comes in, has success, and he moves on. The next guy comes in with in an even better place and elevates at another level. And so that's how you can continue to build up your program. And I'm excited to see if Coach Vincent can come in and have success. I don't want him to leave, but that's just the nature of the business. You know, he's going to move on to somewhere else at some point. So, uh, you know, I, I really hope that that's uh, what comes here for ULM. That's just the nature of being a group of five school and nature of being, you know, really anyone at this level. If your coach has success, they're going to go somewhere else. And so uh, I just hope it sets the table, puts the program in an even different spot. Maybe it helps get things going with funding and, and facilities because you have some success and you start to catch up in that regard in some of those areas where ULM's fallen behind. So 
I'm I'm optimistic. I'm hoping. I mean, everybody's always, you're always optimistic when a new coach comes in. So uh, I, I'm hopeful he gets going. He's brought some great assistance with him already. Uh, 35 guys in that initial part of the signing class ahead of signing day coming up. So and they're going to add to it. Uh, they they had great success. Uh, you know, in that short turnaround of him getting hired in the the initial national signing day. I believe he t- had the stat that they had 35 players in for a recruiting dinner uh, leading up to the the initial signing period, and they signed 31 of those 35 guys that showed up to the dinner. So uh, that's incredible. Uh, it shows that the the guys, the players love him. That's kind of his background as he's known as a player's coach. So, uh, you know, already a lot of positive things about him going on here in Monroe and I think a lot of folks getting uh, some excitement ready for 2024 that it's still several months away, but we can't wait to see this bunch on the field against Jackson State. No, tons of great points there. I think his resume and his fit matches up with this program perfectly impressed me in his introductory press conference. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see where he can take this program in year one. Mike, somewhat surprisingly, we saw some questions about this program dropping down to the FCS level pop up in this offseason, but those were quickly shut down by Athletic Director John Hartwell. What was your reaction to his response, and what do you think this program needs to do in order to have more FBS success and kind of fight some of those speculations and some of those topics? You know, it wasn't surprising that that came up just because, especially this year, you're looking at, uh, you know, what Idaho did, former Sunbelt School, and uh, they they made a run in the FCS playoffs, so it made some noise nationally at the FCS level. And, and you look at that and go, could we be a more successful program in FCS? But what you forget is it took Idaho several years to get to that level in the FCS after dropping back. Uh, you know, there's there's some people around here that that kind of yearn for those days a little bit because that means you're back playing Northwestern State and McNeese and Southeastern and Nichols and have some of those regional rivalries that you once had in the Southland Conference. But, you know, that's not the path you go on. Uh, people don't realize you do that. I mean, ULM already struggles a little bit for the funding and you, you cut your your guarantee games from the Power Five. Those numbers get cut in half. You know, instead of making two million dollars, you're making probably even less than half, probably, you know, 800,000, whatever, you know, it, it goes down significantly. And so that there's concern about that, but more so than that, it's belief that this program can succeed at the FBS level, that this program can be competitive in the Sunbelt Conference. You got to stretch your resources a little bit to do so, but there's been plenty of places that have done that before and been able to help elevate things. So I think that's the the bigger belief is that, being FBS, you're higher profile, you are able to attract better coaches, you're able to do all sorts of things like that. And I think they see, you know, there's a path forward here with Coach Vincent and his group that, you know, they're excited to bring him in. All you need is one bowl game. You get to one bowl game, you get out on the national stage and you win, it starts moving things in the right direction. It's been over 10 years since the bowl game for ULM when they went to the Independence Bowl over in Shreveport. So uh, they're excited to see what's going to happen here. I, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, the commitment to FBS for one. That's that's great to hear from the athletic director, uh, you know, that he's had those conversations with Dr. Barry, the president here, and they've said, you know, unequivocally, it's FBS. There's no going back. We're going to figure this thing out and get it right. And and that's the, the biggest thing is it squashes all the people. There are, you know, a small group of ULM fans that have been saying that and it kind of, you know, silences them a little bit that it's going to stay at this level and the drive is to be successful here because 
like I say, you you find a win. You you go back to 2020. Coastal Carolina has that great run. All it takes is a few bounces of the ball to go your way and execute what you can control. You've got national attention and all the hype going into your program because it's been so long since you've been successful. So uh, I think it's going to be a good run here. Hopefully Coach Vincent can get it going and, and just good to have the backing and know the administration isn't considering that at all, that it's not an option. We're going to find a way to do it at this level. There's no backing down and let's go get after it. Well, Mike, I think my biggest takeaway so far is there's clearly some optimism around this ULM program. Looking at 2024, you mentioned a new head coach. You're bringing in a number of new pieces. I know Caden and I have opined that the West feels winnable for a lot of teams this year with John Summerall stepping away from Troy and some others. Uh, Give us a future forecast. What do you think 2024 looks like for ULM? What would be a success? You know, I think uh, 2024, uh, you know, you want to continue to build off the competitiveness like Coach Bowden put in, like I mentioned. But I think this is a team, you mentioned this West Division, you think about it. I mean, John Sumrall's gone and Kane Womack's gone. And, you know, it's changed the dynamic a little bit. I still expect Troy to be a very successful program. They've historically done so. They've bounced back from losing coaches before. Uh, You know, South Alabama that stadium they have is fantastic. That is a, a wonderful facility down there in Mobile and certainly helps that program have some footing. And uh, I'm interested to see how that goes with Major Applewhite taking things over there. But, you know, Texas State's certainly on the rise. You know, that you can never count out the Cajuns. Uh, Butch Jones seems to have finally gotten things rolling at A-State. That it seems open. It's going to be tough. It's competitive. But you've got to find a way to protect home field. And I think ULM is going to have some favorable matchups at home this year uh, to be able to do that in Sunbelt play. And like I say, you just got to find a way to split those non-conference games. With two money games, it makes it hard. So you got to win the ones, you know, the the group of five game and the FCS game and uh, hope to do some damage and win four games in the Sunbelt. So if Coach Vincent and his club you know, I want to say a bowl game. That's always the goal here at ULM. It's it's to get to six wins, and you do that and you go to a bowl game, you're going to be revered for a long time here. But uh, if you can do that in year one, goodness, it raises the bar for this program moving forward. I certainly think they're bringing in the talent to be competitive enough to go for that goal. You know, that's what I want. I think ultimately if they end up four or five wins and right in that range and they've got something to build off of, that's a positive too. But Hey, I'm I'm shooting for the stars. It's it's six seven wins. Let's go. Let's get to a bowl game and let's uh, let's really get something flowing for this Warhawk football program. Well, Mike, uh, really appreciate your time today. Just the insight on the program, and uh, certainly wish you best of luck as you go throughout the remainder of the football off season. As you're you know right in the middle of basketball season. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime. Kaden, as we talked before Mike came on the air, I think one of my biggest takeaways in further hearing it from Mike after he was at every game this year, this was a team that was much more competitive. And then another big takeaway was what he said about the administration of both the university and the athletic director, John Hartwell, being in lockstep. And it, and it feels like this is a team that wants to find a way to compete at the FBS level. Yeah, they definitely do, and you definitely do, and you have to hope that Brian Vincent comes into this program and kind of keeps reestablishing that competitiveness and being competitive against your opponents is one thing. But I think with a new head coach at the helm, bringing in a lot of new players, I think the biggest emphasis for this team in this offseason is going to be being competitive within themselves. It should be an open job for just about everyone on this team. They should be competing at every single spot to see who's going to start. They should be competing offense against defense week in and week out in spring ball and all throughout the offseason and really pushing each other so when they get to the season, 
they can continue building on being competitive and more competitive than they have been in the past couple of years. So I'm excited for this program. I think some coaching turnover, obviously across the conference is not created equally. And I think when you look at the position that this ULM team is, there's no question that they have a great opportunity to surprise a lot of people and make some noise. And that all starts this off season. And that all starts with a new leadership I have at the top of the, at the top of the, um, the food chain. So I'm excited to watch them get after it and hear about what they're going to have and what's in store for them this off season leading up into the 2024 season. Yeah, Kane, I think to your point, expectations are going to be low heading into the year for ULM. So certainly it gives you that ability to overachieve. As Mike said, too, a slightly different plan at head coach. Instead of bringing in a guy that has head coaching experience, they went with a guy who's an offensive-minded individual who's been an offensive coordinator at times, limited head coaching experience. So it'll be interesting to see if that change in formula pays off for ULM this year. Well, that will do it for the final episode in our Sunbelt in review series. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Louisiana's Jay Walker, ULM's Mike Hammett for joining us for today's conversation. We've officially reached the finish line of our 2023 in review series. Congratulations partner on getting to the finish line, but make sure you come on back on Friday and Kate, on Friday, Caden and I will present our final verdicts for each of the Sunbelt schools in 2023. We're also going to discuss our way too early power rankings. Caden and I have already started that conversation, and that will be a lot of fun to discuss. You're going to want to give it a listen. That'll do it for us here at the Farron Smith Podcast. Before you go, here's one thing you can do. Head over to our recently launched YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Farron Smith Podcast. We're going to be releasing some awesome Sunbelt football-themed content in the weeks and months ahead. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.